Our congregation, 10th East Van, probably like your congregation, went on a weekend away. Did anyone go on that weekend away? Yes. Uh, so at our weekend away, I have a, a, one of the fond memories. So from 9 to 10 each night, there is this space in the program that's just called Campfire. And, and my hope by putting that there, A, that it didn't rain, but B, that uh, we would... Uh, gather the community and just experience a lot of joy and fun and life that if you've had that experience, you know what it feels like. But earlier in the day, we encountered a problem. See, we got to the camp and they showed us the fire kit, which was a, a small Rubbermaid container and a few polite pieces of wood. And one of our, our, our members, an uh, older guy named Sam, says, oh, this will not do. So we got a hold of our hostess and she took us over to the works yard and sure enough, they had piles of wood under a cover. And so then uh, Sam, a motivated guy he is, he grabbed a rolling garbage can and he starts putting piece after piece. And she was sort of, and he was like, mm, well, just a few more. And, and to the point where I wondered, Sam, are we overdoing it? No, no, he assured me he had a vision. So later that night, you can see the picture there, uh, we, we, he, we started piling this massive pile of wood in the quite small little fire pit. And uh, the next problem we had was it's a slightly moist pile of wood. So Sam, you know, he knew what to do. He had lit the paper, threw it in, and suddenly we had a, a smoking pile of wet wood. But that's when Sam's vision kicked in. He got down on his knees. And he, he started to blow and blow and cough because he was breathing in smoke. And then he grabbed some, some, some cardboard and he started fanning wildly. And you know, the flames started licking up and even catching on some of the grass. I got concerned. <laughs> but before you know it, we had a roaring campfire. And as I'd hoped, life emerged around the campfire. We had, you know, laughing, talking. We had a, a number of newcomers to Canada at the camp. So I, someone tried a s'more for the first time and I, I rescued her from eating it off the hot poker. <laughs> so there was so much joy around that fire from um, a moist pile of dead wood to a roaring flaming fire. Aside from Sam's resolve, one of the key ingredients, I think the key ingredient was air, wind, his breath blowing on that fire. So as uh, Claire said, we're finishing, concluding this series from Easter to now, talking about the Holy Spirit. And today we're looking at breath on bones. That's a weird topic. And it comes from a weird story in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Uh, reading the Old Testament, it's, it's this sort of, a lot of imaginary images that really helps us put into context things we're going through. And that's what I hope will happen with us this evening. Let me read from chapter 37, verse 1 to 3. It should be on the screen or it could be in your Bible. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? So when I read this in preparation, I, I wondered, what could this strange vision mean? I mean, a valley of, of human bones, it's, it's creepy, right? 
So then I began to ask, well, who's he speaking to? When? Why would he, good God, give him this image for what type of situation? So here's what I discovered. The book of Ezekiel contains visions from the Lord, and it's speaking into the situation of, of the ancient nation of Israel. A little bit of history on this point might help. So about 600 years before Jesus, in 597 BC, the nation of Israel was, was uh, captured and conquered by the uh, empire of Babylon. And they were, were taken away to that foreign land. And so the, the king, Ezekiel the prophet, the majority of the people taken away for a period of 70 years, deported to a strange land. So in our city and in our world, we, we meet people like this. We hear in the news, we... Uh, of the Ukraine, what's happening right now, of, uh, of Syria, 2015, of Afghanistan. We meet many people from there right now in our city. This happened to my family about 100 years ago. The Mennonite people had to flee persecution. And so it's very natural if, if you're a person that's gone through this or even your family has gone through this, there can be a sense of deep despair. You're cut off from your sense of home. We all have the favorite places and foods and, and memories you're ripped away from all of this. Your life is interrupted, your jobs, your career. You may have plans to marry, to raise a family. So it's this type of community stuck in this kind of national despair that Ezekiel is speaking to and he spoke to for 22 years of his ministry. And it's why God is giving him this form of a vision in order to speak to their situation where they feel a life full of desolation, of no hope, no good future. So the Bible text I just read ends with a curious question that I want to help us hang on tonight. Son of man, can these bones live? It's such an honest question. You know, can, can the dead things in our life come to life again? It, it nags at us. And it, so it's the question I want you, invite you to ask is, what in your life right now perhaps feels like dead bones? And you may be wondering, can they live again? For some of us in our families, personally, we may have faced deep catastrophe, maybe a health concern or a death of a loved one, or as I mentioned, a forced migration. But for many of us, I think the catastrophes we face aren't as dramatic and yet still deeply troubling. Author Max Lucado says it this way. He says, we grow drowsy in our spirituality. The vibrancy we had is replaced by lethargy. Enthusiasm fades and, well, we doze off. Not because we're hard-hearted cynics who reject God, but we're good people who experience a dry heart, a waning love, who feel disconnected in our relationship with God. Is that you today? I know I could relate as I read that. So tucked into Ezekiel's question, and scripture is the beginning of an answer I'd like to explore. After that probing question, God asks him. Ezekiel gives an equally honest answer, and he says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So it's in our nagging questions that don't have answers that we read, God knows. It's the Lord who has a clear line of sight through the history, through our family web, and God knows. And it's this kind of assurance that when we struggle, God knows that Ezekiel needs his people to understand that in the middle of their misfortune, God knows. Following that opening dialogue, 
we, we read that God then invites Ezekiel himself to, to re, uh, work with him in the reviving of these dry bones, speaking on God's behalf. It's, it's this impossible task, and it's so interesting that God suggests a joint venture, someone in the situation speaking to the situation. So if you ever want to see God do stuff, just know he may want to work with you. He likes to do that. So as I said, it's, it's a weird story and it gets weirder here. So as he, as he speaks, he follows what God says. So he begins to speak to the field of human bones and calls them to come alive. And it, and it, it says in the scripture that these bones begin to rattle together and, and tendons and, and flesh sort of cover these bones, but there's no breath in them. It's like a cliffhanger. And then the scripture says this in verse nine. God says, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So from a a valley of dry human bones to a, a standing army of people, Max Lucado again writes eloquently when he says this, the prophet just spoke with ordinary words, no magic, no secret incantations, no conjuring tricks with bones, just the living power of the word of the living God invading the valley of the shadow of death. I like that. Lifeless bones becoming bodies that are living by receiving the breath of God. It's weird, right? So what does it mean? So in this passage, when we hear of breath, we're meant to understand it as synonymous with God's spirit, his Holy Spirit. So what's being reenacted here is likely an image very common from from the beginning, the very beginning when God created. We read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 that after creating anything, everything else, God formed a human out of the dust, out of the dirt, a human, but it wasn't living he wasn't living and then it says the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being so the life-giving power of God's breath brings life to our dead situations it revives us I found that I find that very good news So besides it being just a strange vision that maybe Ezekiel had after too much of a spicy meal before bed, thankfully, verse 11 gives us an interpretation. It says this, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our our hope is gone. We are cut off. So as suspected, the bones represent something. They are the nation of Israel. These people wondering in our exile, can we live again? It's been 70 years. So God knew that in this situation, they felt themselves to be useless, hopeless, and lifeless like dry bones. Again, perhaps we can relate to the story because perhaps we have situations that feel like dry bones. For a year, I worked with a young lady named Miriam who'd escaped Syria in 2015 with her family. Miriam had been a student in in university, and day after day, she had to make the dangerous walk from home through through, uh, war-torn areas to university and back. 
She took great risks, but the time came, her family knew, the time came to escape. So there she was, you know, finding herself in Lebanon and in Canada and worried that all the records of her three and a half years were, were gone. She was a, a talented student in linguistics. Uh, Bible translation was one of her goals. She's a Christian family. So here she was, we're, we're together, and I, I visited a, a local Vancouver university with her, hoping to, to get, seeking some audience, to get some, some empathy. Could we, could we help this talented young woman from Syria? So she kept hearing again and again, you know, without record, without ac- academic records from your university, which is gone, how about you, you start again, first your English, uh, take an English assessment, I mean, she, Perfect English. So she's, she's devastated. I remember sitting with her after that meeting and she was just weeping and crying and just feeling so hopeless. And I sat there crying and feeling helpless to help her situation. So Miriam's situation, like, like many of our situations, begs the question, can these bones live again? Will I ever get that degree, that career, or, or that relationship or family that I long for? So the the Valley of Dry Bones, it really resonates with me and I think really well depicts the situations we face. You see, we we want the Lord to be able to to reanimate what's dead in our life with his breath. As Ezekiel's vision wraps up in verse 12, the Lord speaks to Ezekiel and opens a door on what he plans to do for the grieving nation who'd lost everything. And, And this is what it says, verse 12. My people... Again, that, I love that opening. My people, God just communicating, belonging with them in their struggle. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So even though they're living in a situation that says, feels like an open grave, the Lord says, I will be your power source. My own, my own spirit will meet you in your despair and you will live. Good news. And the Bible is full of good news like this, specifically that because of his spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We hear that in scripture. We sing about it. It reminded me of another little story in the book of John. This is way later. And this is after the events of Easter. This is after those disciples who are despairing suddenly meet Jesus alive. And he's in a room with them. And he says this to them. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So then the nation in Israel, back in Ezekiel's time, they were feeling dead and needed hope and they needed the breath of God's Spirit. Those early followers, you know, wondering if all that they'd worked for it was gone, they needed the Holy Spirit to send them out into their world with hope. And we today, we need God's spirit. That's what we need to breathe into our situation. I had a recent experience as I was preparing. I asked the Lord, like, would I, have I experienced something like this? And, you know, sure enough, as he does, something came along. So it was was two weeks ago on a Friday. and, And it turned out I was feeling pretty low. 
which is odd and unpleasant because Friday is a great day. It's a day off. My wife and I have a day off. Um, sometimes we, we do some things. We recently came to Anna's house over here on a Friday, had a great day. But on that particular Friday, our Sabbath, it wasn't a great day. A Sabbath, this day where we, we stop from our work and, and we try to rest and delight and worship. It's, it's usually my favorite day. On this particular Friday, it felt like God turning my attention to something less pleasant, a source of discontent, which honestly has felt like dry bones in my life for a long time. It's nothing urgent, but for 12 years, we've been living in this city, renting homes in multiple locations. Again, it's felt like discontent. It's felt like, like a toothache that won't go away. So here I was on the Friday, <laughs> contemplating that and bemoaning that. And so it could be, though, partly uh, that leading up to that particular week, we had done some work with, with, uh, with our bank and whatnot to assess, could this be the time? Could we buy a condo in this market? So that stirred me up. And, and as I was stirred up, feeling low, here's how I think the Holy Spirit met me. Three things. First, I feel, uh, in a good way, the Holy Spirit invited me to face my feelings. The Lord knew I needed to, to pause and slow down and look at that thing, which was an area of discontent in my life. Feel my feelings. You see, in our life, we tend to escape our feelings. We, we tend to numb our feelings. Just now, listening on the radio, this lady talking about dopamine and how we instantly, I don't even have it, my phone, we have, we have something to distract us and, and, and remove any sense that we'd ever have to feel what we're facing. But that, that the Holy Spirit says, no, I'm with you. I know what you're going through. Let's do this together. So that's the first step. The second step on that day, he invited me to take action. The Lord often does that. So we had made an appointment with a real estate agent to see a condo in Richmond. But the, the price point and the tiny size did little to encourage me. In fact, I was more discouraged. <laughs> Facing reality with the Lord's help is hard. And then third, this is where the difference came. God nudged my wife and I to pray. So even going into that appointment, we, we prayed in the car. And then we saw the place and we found ourselves praying after. Lord, what, what are you saying? And as I did those three things, something began to happen. I, a, a flicker, a flame of love life started to come. More clarity. And I sensed, not through any audible voice, but just a strong feeling that just felt true. Not now, Mike. Not in this market. Trust. Wait. Be content with the rented home you have. See, the, the home I'm renting actually has quite an amazing story, but I'd forgotten that. The Lord is saying, Mike, be content. I've got you. So after that series of events and interactions with the Lord that day, I just noticed a sense, a, a renewed sense of peace returning to me that I had been not had for a while. And then the very next day, the Saturday, it's funny, the Lord gave me, it felt like a tiny sort of affirmation of that word in case I was wondering. See, we were going that evening to visit some friends who had bought a new condo. It's beautiful. It's renovated. It's awesome. Maybe I was a little envious. Super happy for them. But as I'm walking up to their door, I notice on, on the window of one of their neighbors was this, uh, this sign and it, a coloring sheet, a kid's coloring sheet with a quote on it. I can imagine that maybe a mom getting her kids to work together made them sit down and color this as a, you know how parents might do that. But God was using it to speak to me and it says this, gratitude 
turns what we have into enough. It's just like, just hit me. Uh, I just took that as another reminder of the Lord's message and just was so grateful. God knows my struggle and he's reminding me to trust him. You see, I think the, the Holy Spirit blowing into our life is when he helps us meet reality and reinterpret it with hope to remind us of God's love and care for us. We need this. We need this for our life. Because as humans, I think the best answers we come up with for our grief and our loss is, Lord, would you just restore the material things I, I need? That, then I'll be happy. Lord, buy me a condo. Then I'll be happy. But the Lord knows, just as he knew for the nation of Israel, that in their exile in a foreign country, that you know, they wanted to return to land and their farming fields and, and rebuild their temple. And certainly the Lord eventually gave them a measure of that. And for us, we, we want to complete that education and get the career and perhaps uh, raise a family. And, and here's what happens, though. Once we have that family and we have this kid, maybe they'll just get a little older so they can achieve that thing. And what I notice is it's just sort of that, that wheel just keeps turning, kind of a, that fear of missing out, that constant FOMO. God wants more for us than that. So at the end of Ezekiel 37, God makes clear, yes, I do want to restore some of these material fortunes, but that's not all I'm interested in. In verse 24, God points them to a distant future. And he says this, my servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd. You see, again, King David had been their, their, their king from a golden period of national success. And they thought, if we just had a king like that, we could restore our fortunes and, and be great again. And yet God is pointing them far beyond any, any political ruler. He's pointing them to the Messiah, who was, as the Bible calls, a descendant of the king of David. He's pointing them to Jesus, the only one that can give them and us the, the peace we so long for, the true ruler who can restore what we long for, what material possessions can never give us, Jesus who brings us God's very presence. Those events we celebrated from Easter, those 2,000 years ago, opened the door because of Jesus' sacrifice to send us God's Holy Spirit. He's among us. He's available and yet, it also points even us who live in this time beyond to that time when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness and God will finally absorb every pain, every loss, every wound with, with full and complete healing. So where does that leave us? As I said, we, we live in the time. The gift has been given. The spirit is among us. Help has come for our, our, our daily disturbances and our, our annual annoyances. God's with us, and he's like my friend Sam, who beside our, our pile of moist wood, he's, he's down on his knees, and he's blowing, and he's, he's waving cardboard, and he wants us to be, receive his spirit in a way that lights us on fire with hope, with restoration, in the midst of our struggles, because they will come, and they continue to persist. He wants us in these situations to have life that is truly life, both now and with hope of that life to come. Amen.
So as we end, I have something that I want to call us towards because I want you to take this home with you. I want this to be true for us as we come out of this series and into the summer. I want to invite you to have a chance to invite God to take center stage in whatever is going on in your life. So in my, in my garden this week, I did some prep for this moment and I cut several hundred tiny dry twigs and I brought them in baskets, which you'll see when you come for communion. And so as you come and before you take the elements, you can take one of these. As you take one of these, I hope that there, there's an, uh, an area of your life that you would consider and say, yeah, that, that is the thing that God's directing my attention to. That thing feels like a dead bone, a dry twig. And as you take it into the week and you take this communion, my, my prayer would be that you maybe keep it somewhere visible and, and, and be prayerful. Lord, would you blow into my soul, blow into that situation with your life to revive the life that I so long for. That's my prayer for us. May, may I pray for us as we close and before we head into communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your timeless word given in images and metaphors and truth truth that we have what we need for this life. May that be true for my friends gathered here this evening. Would you blow, Holy Spirit, with your hope, with your life, with your peace into whatever we're facing here this evening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.